am trying to figure out who Simon Chan's book is written for. On the one hand, he begins with the typical Aang at an alpha course questioning the existence of God. On the other, he pleads with Malaysian Christians to try and understand where Muslims are coming from in the whole Allah debate. So is he speaking to Christians or non-believers? And Mus or Alliance? We find out in this book review. Done, done, done. 1. Does God exist? Is not the question. Simon begins by bashing the Brits. Technically, he calls it theology in the West, but I like to imagine him really giving it to our colonial overlords. Here, Simon Chan channels his inner Simon Cowell as he slams the red buzzer on a hundred years of Western theological thought summed up by one word, imminence, a fancy term for daddy issues with God. Everything was dandy when Francis Light first discovered the joys of backcut in Penang and James Brooke was slurping Colomy in Sarawak. Two world wars changed all of that. Suddenly everyone was reading Tolkien imagining themselves hobbits ascending Mount Doom. Even today, the top questions from a wannabe alpha course predictably include the following. If God exists, why is there suffering? Does my life matter to God? Is chaos in the world a sign of God's absence? One wonders if it was designed to evangelize disillusioned phase for Marvel fans. Asians, in comparison, are a lot less emo, argues Chan. Don't get me wrong. We will chop you up into curry and serve up your hot carcass with two chapeltas if you insult my god or desecrate his holy place. But we lose no sleep pondering questions like, is God real? Or, is he near? Rather, ours is the classic BTS army conundrum deciding which member is the cutest, Jin or Sugar, Jimin or J-Hope. Every country, culture, and village has its god. Who's to say your god is better than my god, or that your god is the same as my god? So one questions God's existence, but the other, his identity. Knowing this one difference makes or breaks our evangelism of God in Asian contexts. 2. Calming Matt Kai Law There is much wisdom in this Singaporean author's take on the controversy involving God's name in Malay Bibles. Without necessarily proposing a solution, Chan appeals to empathy on the part of Christians to understand how sensitive and peculiar the divine name is amongst Malay Muslims. The analogy he makes is an interesting one. The word Christ, it could be argued, isn't exclusive to Jesus, as it is a title and not a name not unlike Datuk or Tansri. Yet, there can be many Tansris but only one Lord. Many Datuks but one Jesus Christ. As Christ followers, we are deeply attached to the word. Hearing it used as an expletive on The Simpsons is all it takes for some of us to cancel our Disney Plus subscriptions. Telling someone not to be offended, when they already are is like telling Malaysians their nasi lemak comes from Singapore. Every subsequent argument sounds nonsensical. Is there no point, then, engaging Muslims in theological dialogue? To some extent, the author has convinced me of its limitations. Meaning, if your intent is to defend the gospel from false accusations, to clarify the uniqueness of the gospel from the claims of other religions, then, by all means, go ahead and live stream that debate with your local astas. But if our intention is to help bridge a living faith in the one true God, this approach will only get you so far. The key, contends Chan, is the person of Jesus Christ, 
though the manner of this revelation might surprise readers from more conservative backgrounds. Apparently, it isn't uncommon for new converts to experience visions of Jesus which then spurs them to investigate further the claims of Christ. In all my years in the UK, I have yet to hear one such testimony in Cambridge. It makes me wonder why. How effective is Western evangelism in Asia? Does God work differently there? Is there something we need to learn or do differently? Whatever the answers, the questions are worth raising, in the UK, at least, where the influx of migrants has been never increasing yet our modes of ministry seem never changing. 3. Indian Matchmaking I'll be honest, my head hurt reading this section of the book. The author presents three attempts at matchmaking the trinity with Hindu philosophy, all with some degree of success, all somewhat familiar, yet, in the end, producing portraits of God I struggled to recognize. Having said that, this was the chapter one learned the most from. Brahman is a presence god via his LinkedIn profile. Impressive yet impersonal. Keshb Chandra Sen, described by Chan as a Hindu Christian, his quotes, not mine, redefined the trinity by pulling together three strands of God's character, being, intelligence and bliss, thus maintaining God's mystery and upholding his separateness from his creation aka duality. Rayamind Doponikar sees in Jesus the opportunity to bridge this dualistic gap by appealing to the Hindu concept of Isvara, the personalized embodiment of Braham, still distant but relatable, like Elon Musk's Twitter account. Finally, AJ Upasama leans into the incarnation of Vishnu in the form of Krishna, though not in quite the same way that Jesus took on flesh in the Gospels. Rather, he goes all James Cameron on the Trinity seeing in the logos a kind of avatar for God to interact with his creation. Just in case you didn't get the avatar reference, I could just have easily gone with Ready Player One, Matrix and Evil Morty from the Citadel of Rick. Like I said, I struggle with these concepts of God. As I chased up the references, okay, okay, I looked them up on Wikipedia. I learned a whole lot about Hinduism but very little about the God of the Bible, at least with the previous section on Islam, even with all the hostility and misunderstandings that came with its contact with Christianity, there was a preservation of the identity of Christ. I don't quite recognize Jesus as portrayed in these attempts at contextualization but did I learn a whole lot about Abraham, Isvara, Vishnu and Krishna. Maybe that in itself is helpful for my next conversation at the Momax doll. For everything, everywhere, all at once, Christianity is to Chinese culture what Michelle Yeoh is to Hollywood. From Shanghai to Star Trek, from Andy to Arch Nemesis, Yeoh's effortless appeal to both Angma and Asian audiences stems not from the compromise of her ideals but confidence in her own identity. Audiences see in Yeoh what they wish they could see in themselves. The rich Tai Tai leading Bible study and crazy rich Asians. The captain of the USS Shinsu with a Malaysian accent. The middle-aged laundromat owner who does kung fu. In the same way, Chinese culture projects onto Christianity the ideals it longs for and perhaps even lacks in its own efforts of self-actualization. So Confucianism becomes a victim of its own success when it asserts how it isn't religion, but instead, a series of ethical principles. No need to attend some church or imagine a heavenly CCTV monitoring your progress. Like Bitcoin, Confucianism needs no external validation of its inherent value, but, like Bitcoin, the absence of traditional anchors can mean obsolescence overnight. Hence, 
to Wei Ming's rediscovery of Tian, or Supreme Being, within Confucianism is a sincere attempt at infusing spiritual meaning back into its ethical practices by framing its teachings as a response to the transcendent. It has all the traits of Nestle's success in branding Milo as a sports drink. You don't just want it to test good, you want it to be good. Li Yang Yang does something similar with Taoism, but instead of setting God as the transcendent ideal, which Li maintains is still the Tower Supreme Ultimate. Li sees in the Trinity a representation of ultimate change. The Trinity is distinct yet balanced in a harmonious relationship, not unlike yin and yang within Taoist philosophy, argues Li. In one model, Li equates yang with the father, yin with the spirit and the son is a combo of both natures, father-spirit slash yang yin. In another, the spirit is the agent of qi flowing through the universe but also our individual bodies, bringing health and healing. In yet another, Li proposes a model for a society based on the distinctiveness of male and female gender roles as envisioned by the Trinitarian principle of functional hierarchy. It is obvious this guy has a deep admiration for Christianity, yet his adaptations of God are less Twilight and more Michael Bay Transformers, each iteration drifting further and further from the original. Finally, the author himself gives a hot take on Pentecostalism, the most dominant flavor of Christianity in Asia, if only because of its pragmatic appeal amongst the poor and oppressed. It is interesting that Chan speaks directly of God here in his treatment of Pentecostals, I suspect, expressing his personal convictions in earnest, something I truly respect though I wish he had given more space outlining their theological quirks as he does with other philosophies. Chan does go as far as listing its promises, healing, exorcism, supernatural encounters and social change, spiritual blessings for the materially poor. This poses a challenge to other Christian denominations, notably absent from the chapter. How has Pentecostalism succeeded where Presbyterians and Anglicans Baptists and brethren haven't. Is it simply a question of being less at in our evangelism? Or might our theology have more in common with Hinduism, Confucianism and Islam than we care to admit, not speaking of the details which may be pulls apart but of its unrelatability to everyday experience? Sir Michael Caine might have won the Oscars six times but you are much more likely to have a selfie taken with Michelle Yeoh, as testified by some friends. One is accomplished, the other, accessible, even with her Dato Suri title. Which are we in our presentation of the Gospel? 5. Uncle Roger vs Nephew Nigel The fact that my spellcheck underlines unrelatability in red tells me it isn't a proper word in the English dictionary. Yet, unrelatability aptly defines the problem we began and ended with. In this review, Westerners struggle to relate to a god they cannot see. Asians, on the other hand, struggle with a god they do not recognize. One grapples with what they don't yet know. The other, a presence they have always assumed. It wasn't until Nigel donned the bright orange polo taking on the persona of Uncle Roger that millions around the globe began identifying with the KL-born comedian's antics on YouTube. His relatability led to his recognition. In an interview with NPR, Nigel shares how he got friends to DM photos of their dads to help him build the character. The phone case, the Hong Kong accent, the one leg on the chair was all born of Nigel's research to embody an uncle every Asian could recognize and relate to. Such is Simon Chan's contribution in this book.
a series of snapshots of God captured through the lens of primal Asian religions, in part, designed to help us as Christians to understand our audience, but more so, to help us contextualize the gospel to our numbers. Therein lies the tension, between preaching a Christ we know and a Christ that is knowable. Chan refrains from filling that gap per se but assumes the reader's intention to do so within their own context of faithfulness. Who is this book for? Those willing to see God for he truly is, not just who we want him to be. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3-2